He is risen. I'm going to do that so many times today, guys, just so you know. Fun story. He is is a fun, fun phrase. Because he is is just us saying to Jesus a phrase that he would say, I am to, right? So he says, I am. We say he is, right? I am is fun. And I am very loud. (laughs) I am is fun, okay? So, whenever... God stepped into the lives of his people in Egypt, whenever, they, whenever he spoke to Moses in the burning bush, Moses asked for his name, and God's response to his name was, I am. And he gave him the name Yahweh, which means I am that I am, or I am the one that is aming, which is really fun. I am. He is. Whenever we talk about Jesus, we can see all the times that he walked through and said, I am. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of heaven. I am the Alpha and Omega, he says in Revelation. I am the living water. I am, I am, I am. And at one point, whenever he is speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they are arguing with him about whether or not he has the authority to teach some of the things he teaches, his response back to them is, he says, tell me the truth. Uh... Before Abraham was, I am. He proclaimed himself to be this living God. The one who is. The one who knows no bounds. So who is he and what has he done for us? We know he died. We know Jesus died. And we in the church in the West oftentimes focus immense attention on the fact that he died. When in fact, the fact that he died is not the remarkable part of his story. If he is just a man, every man dies. As scripture says, it is appointed unto man once to die and then face judgment, right? The life and mortality ratio of humanity in general is basically the same across the board. You all get one life and you're all going to die at some point. That counts for me too. Right? Everyone dies. That's not the remarkable point of Christ's story. The remarkable point of Christ's story is the fact that he, by his own will, lives. So we've seen people who didn't die in the Old Testament, right? We saw, who was it? Elijah was taken up into heaven. Without dying, not tasting death, just pulled right up to God the Father, right? Uh, we've seen people in the Old Testament new who died and then came back to life by someone else's power, God's particularly, right? And so there was the widow in the Old Testament who died, and Elijah uh, raised her child from the dead by praying. God raised her child, right? We see Lazarus in the New Testament who Jesus raised. We see the, the official's daughter who Jesus raised, right? The fact that people die and then come back to life... We've seen that before, too, but always with some outside agent being the one who influenced and caused it to happen, right? In Christ, we see the only time anyone ever lived, died, and rose again by his own will and own volition because of his own goodness. Christ rose himself. This resurrection is where the hope of our salvation comes in. 
Everyone has heard the point of the Bible probably that says uh, this is how you gain salvation, right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that he died on the cross, you, you will be saved, right? That's not what it says. It's if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Our salvation is possible because of the cross, but is based upon his resurrection, his new life is what brings us life. So let's talk about this resurrection story. In Luke chapter 24, verse 1, we read this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, this being Mary and the other Mary and possibly Salome. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and then on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women who were with them who told them these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, for he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Imagine how the disciples must have felt on Saturday. So on Friday, the man they had been following, the rabbi that they had been wandering with, the one who they thought was the coming Messiah, the one who many of them likely expected to simply take over the world, declare himself a king and move through and take over the entirety of the world, dies. And he didn't just die with his people by his side. Goodness, in 6 BC, there was a man named Judas the Galilean who called himself a messiah and he rose up and fought against rome because he didn't want rome to count all of the people in israel he didn't want them to take a census same census by the way likely that jesus uh was born under whenever his family had to move back to their hometowns this census was happening and they didn't like censuses and so judas the galilean led a military revolt to try and change the outcome of this and to take over the world, to be a military leader and a military messiah. And he was killed and crucified. And not only was he crucified, but at least 200 of his followers were crucified at the same time with him. And his entire push was wiped out. And Rome basically just swept in, made a mockery of his mission, and then left again, didn't really leave. Kept a whole bunch of troops around for some reason because, you know, Jerusalem had a habit of rising up and being all mean. Or godly. Whatever. Probably a better word for it. It was not uncommon for people to claim themselves messiahs and to die. And it wasn't even uncommon for their followers to die with them. And Jesus' disciples didn't even have the guts to die with him. Whenever Peter was following behind and watching Jesus as he was being taken up to be crucified, multiple people were asking, are you with him? Are you with him? Are you with him? Are you with him? And Jesus, Peter's response every time was, I have no idea who that is. No, I don't know him. Can't you know? I don't know him. And at one point it says he called out curses from heaven upon the people and says, I don't know the man. He literally is swearing at him. I don't know him. And they watched the man they'd been following die. 
And they scattered too. They went back to the places they were before. Whenever we encounter at the end of the book of John, Peter and several of the other disciples, they're no longer in Jerusalem where Jesus had called them to. They had returned back to the fishing village that Jesus had first called them out of. And they had gone back to the work fishing. They had left their life behind. They had gone back home. They didn't get what had happened. The enormity of what was going on. On Saturday, all of their hopes were dashed and destroyed. But on Sunday, something changed. The disciples were cowardly enough at the end of Jesus' life that they refused to be acknowledged with him. And only like one of his disciples was around when he was on the cross. Then some of the other women who were following around with him too. And it took two people outside of his inner circle, Joseph of Arimathea and, and Nicodemus, to even be willing to take Jesus' body and show him honor in his death and take him to the tomb. It wasn't even his disciples that did that. His disciples were broken, scattered, scared. But on Sunday, something changed. And these men who had before been broken and scared, who had seen, had lost hope in their future, had lost hope for the movement Jesus was pushing, who had lost everything, went forth because of what happened and changed the world. Literally altered the course of human history. These men who were afraid to say that they even knew Jesus went gladly to the death, their own deaths, proclaiming his risen life. What changed. I'll tell you what. In 1 Corinthians 15, we see this. Uh, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance that which I received, that Christ died for our sins and according with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I'm the least of the apostles, I'm worthy to be called an apostle, because I have persecuted the church of God. What changed in the disciples' life from that Friday night to the following Sunday? They saw their resurrected Lord. They witnessed him firsthand. They saw him alive. He is risen. That's right. He is. Consider the magnitude of what Paul is proclaiming here because he is telling the Corinthian church that they can know where their faith comes from. And he's writing this within a time period whenever these people he's talking about would still be alive, right? So he is saying, I hold this to you, and I offer it up as first importance that Christ died, was buried, and rose again. And then he started showing up to people. He showed up to Peter, showed up to the twelve, showed up to more than 500 other people. And then he showed up again to James. Then he showed up to the other apostles again. Then he showed up to Paul himself, who at the time was persecuting the church. A man who had made it his life's mission to stamp out this new movement that for some reason had appeared in Jerusalem. 
then he was confronted with the risen Christ. And his life changed forever. And so did the life of all of those who saw him as well. And he's literally telling this church that if you have any questions about whether or not Jesus rose from the dead, you can go and ask people who saw him. We're far removed today. I don't have the luxury of talking to Paul and being like, hey, what'd you see, dude? Or seeing Peter or the 500 others that were there and saying, hey, what actually happened? But to the people he was writing this letter to, they actually could do that. If they had questions, they could go and ask the one who saw him. This is what changed. Jesus is alive. Do you want to know how important the resurrection is to what we believe? It is this important. Paul says in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that there is no resurrection of the dead. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ is raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope for this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. There is no faith in Christ without understanding that he rose again. If you consider yourself a Christian but do not believe Jesus rose from the dead physically, your faith doesn't mean anything. If your faith is just tied to what is happening in this world, your faith is worthless. And Paul said that if he is wrong and if he is lying or if he is misrepresenting God, his faith is not just worthless, but that he is to be pitied among all men. Because he is so wrong, he is wasting his life. Fun story. Paul knows he's not wrong, though, because he saw the resurrected Christ. In verse 20 it says, But if in fact, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Christ broke the fall. Christ broke that which Adam broke. Adam messed up this world. Christ is redeeming it and is fixing it. By his power alone, all of the messed up stuff in the world is being washed away. And whenever he returns, whenever he comes back, this world will be fully restored because of the power of his resurrection. Because he rose from the dead. This is where your hope lies. Not in now, not in today, and not in the death on a cross, though that death did cover over a multitude of sins. Your hope, your future hope, is in Jesus and what he has done. His resurrection and life. That is your hope, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now know this as well. In Romans, we read this. What shall we say? This is Romans 6. Are we to continue in sin 
so that grace may abound by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be reunited with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body might no longer be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So that you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Jesus died, and we identify with his death. We died when he died. And he lives now, and we can live with him. Fun note, if you just focus on his death, it is still possible to be caught and trapped in this world and in its worldly lifestyle. You can stay stuck in your sin. But if you recognize the fact that in him, he is reborn, he is life, and you can have new life too, that's whenever you can start to have victory over the sin and death in your life. Whenever in Hebrews we read that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we are fixing our eyes on him, perfected and resurrected, because that is where he is drawing us to, to him. And that is what we will be eventually as well, resurrected. Romans again says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if we believe in our hearts he rose from the dead, we will be saved, we will have salvation, right? So we know that Jesus is the I am because he is, right? We always say that he is risen, right? We're going to do another one first, though. We're going to start off with he is Lord. And I want you to say he is Lord indeed, right? Are you ready? He is Lord. He is Lord indeed. He is risen. If that is true of him... What does it mean for you? If he is your Lord and he is risen, you are his and you will rise with him. Amen? Amen. If you have any questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, please come forward and talk to me. Don't come forward. I'll be hanging out around this building. Wherever I might be, wander over to me and talk, right? If you want to, you can email me, you can text me, you can call me. You can also speak to pretty much uh, anyone else in the room, right? One of y'all could probably talk to someone about it, right? To be like, hey, do you know what this is about? And if they say no, both of you go together and find someone else, right? Eventually, (laughs) someone will end up in that group that knows what they're talking about, right? All right. Well, here's another fun thing. You know how he says that in baptism we were buried in Christ? So baptism symbolically identifies us with who Jesus is and what he has done. 
So whenever we are baptized, we go underwater, and this signifies us being identified with his death. And then we come up out of the water, and we are identifying with him as new creations and new life, right? And so we love to celebrate baptism together. And next week on Sunday, we're going to start off our new sermon series. Uh, yeah, it's called Injustice for All, and Blade made a super awesome metal uh, picture for it that'll be up next week because I was dumb enough not to put it in. But yes, it's exactly what you think it is, James. Look at his face. I know it does. And we're going to be celebrating baptisms. We're baptizing at least four people next week. And if anyone else wants to be baptized, please let me know. I would love to. I'd like to invite you to join with us and celebrate next week. Here's what we're going to do now, though. We're going to sing another worship song together, following some prayer. And then we're going to partake in communion together. And then we're going to worship together again. We're going to worship our resurrected Christ, our resurrected Father. Are you willing to do this with me? Yeah? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are and for what you've done, for your death, which you died to sin, and for your life, which you live. I thank you for your perfection, for your resurrection. We thank you for your glorious life, Lord. I pray that as we go throughout this week, may we remember who you are and what you've done. Lord, may we live as people who worship a resurrected God. May our lives look differently because of it. And Lord Jesus, may we celebrate you today. We thank you, Father. It's your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and worship with us today? Jesus. 
Jesus Messiah, the name above all names, blessed step into this time of communion, we read and we study and we talk about weekly that we're supposed to do this in remembrance of him. We're supposed to do this in, when we gather and celebrate what Christ has done. And what I want to question is when we remember him, what are we remembering? Are we remembering the man stuck in the tomb that died for our sins, or are we acting like the two women that witnessed and praised the resurrection? So what I want us to do is just ask ourselves, in what areas are we surrendering that we're surrendering our ideas of what kingship looks like, what lordship looks like, what politically, what our world should look like, and what aspects are our relationships, our jobs being surrendered before God, where it's coming back in a resurrected form, in the way that it was meant to be in a perfected form. And as we think about those things, it's very hard to walk in communion with God when you're running away from him in another area of your life. So as we go into this time of communion, I ask that you pray for God to lead you to that thing that needs to be surrendered. Um, as Bonhoeffer says, you can't be given something when your hands are full. And so whatever you're holding on to in your life, I ask that you would surrender it before God. Because what he's going to do is he's going to give it back to you in a divine perspective. In a perspective that glorifies him, that honors his kingdom, and brings about communion not just within yourself, but the community around you. 
And so you guys know that we do communion here, that you come up whenever you feel ready. Um, but I just ask that you take some time to meditate, to think, to ask God to challenge you to surrender an aspect of your life to him so that way you can grow with him and not just glorify him, but grow in the community that's around you and not just within yourself. Um, so please feel free to come up whenever you're ready.
Would you all please stand and join me in one more song of praise this morning? There's no deed that can redeem us. There's no right, no magic word. Only by the work of Jesus can salvation be secured. It is finished, He has done it. Let your weary heart rejoice. Our redemption is accomplished. Raise a shout with ragged voice and go bravely into battle, knowing He has won the war. It is finished, lift your head and weep no more. There's no sacrifice to offer, there's no penance to complete. Freely drink of living water Without money come and feast It is finished, He has done it Let your weary heart rejoice Our redemption is accomplished Raise a shout with a ragged voice And go bravely into battle Knowing He has won your hand, let every sinner rejoice, hear the dying victors cry, raise up your voice, sing it out through earth and sky, it is finished, he has done it, let your weary heart rejoice, our redemption is accomplished, Raise a shout with a ragged voice And go bravely into battle Knowing he has won the war It is finished, lift your head and weep no more And go bravely into battle Knowing he has won the war It is finished Lift your head and weep no more. Thank you, Jesus. You are victorious. You are a redeemer. You are our hope, our life. Everything we have is in you. Lord, may we live lives that honor you. May we recognize you as our Lord in all areas. Lord, continue to sanctify us. Continue to help us to let go of the things that keep us from you and to honor you in all we do. We love you. We thank you. We celebrate you today and every day. Great, wonderful God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Really quick. How does it work? Next week, we start a new sermon series, Injustice for All. It's on Jubilee from Leviticus all the way through to Revelation. We're going to be going through it for 11 weeks, and it should be a good time. And we'll be baptizing as well.
I'd love to invite everyone to come back next week and join with us and celebrate. Thank you. Have a wonderful week and go forth and be the church. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Have a great Easter, everybody.